Well, thanks to everyone who has participated this morning and uh, serving us as a community through this uh, act of worship. And I just want to thank Pastor Samuel for preaching last week. And, uh, and leave me nothing to correct, no theological errors or anything like that. So, no, I, I love to hear you preach and appreciate it very much. Okay, we are reading in Scripture today, 1 Timothy chapter 5. So you can join in your Bible, so the words will be on the screen. And we're just going to read the first uh, 16 verses. We've been kind of jumping through parts of Timothy, first and second, a little bit of Titus. Uh, we've had a great Bible study group on Wednesday nights, looking at Titus more specifically. That's now over, by the way. I know that it was sent out that there's one more session, but we were so enthusiastic last Wednesday that we finished it. Um, so if you're missing the notes from the final couple of sessions, let me know, and we'll get that to you. But we're reading today 1 Timothy chapter 5 and beginning at verse 1. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead, even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church, so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business, and talking about things they shouldn't. So, I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them, for I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. Man, Paul does not pull any punches. Uh, <clears throat> when you read this at home alone, it sounds very different than when you read it in front of people. <clears throat> I might have to revise my sermon. Here, in verse 16. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. Thanks be to God for this word. Well, Paul sends Timothy, this young pastor, with a, an onerous responsibility. He has to go to set the church in Ephesus back on track. And his instructions are very, very specific, aren't they? 
as to what Timothy is supposed to do. Why was this so important? I don't want us to miss this. Why was it so important for the church to be on track? Why was it so important for the church to properly handle the care of widows? Why? For the sake of the gospel. Never lose sight of this. It's for the sake of the gospel, for the reputation of the gospel. That comes up again and again in this passage as well. We don't want the gospel to fall into disrepute. We don't want God's name to be slandered because of your bad behavior with one another. And so Paul sets it up to Timothy to get the church on track. It seems like the church was maybe plagued by some false teachers that had come in and put on burdens upon the church that they didn't need to bear. Burdens of of circumcision, burdens of having to obey certain laws and rules and regulations. It was Jesus plus something. And Paul says, no, that's not the gospel at all. And so they were not only plagued by false teachers, but maybe even distracted by the values of society around them. And so Timothy had to go and set them back on track. So what was he supposed to do? Do you notice the things that Paul didn't tell him to do? Paul didn't say, Timothy, as soon as you get into Ephesus, form a focus group, bring them all together, and come up with a really witty mission statement that everyone can memorize. I I don't want to slam mission statements. We have one. It's good. But it's not the way you get the church on track. Or he didn't even go in and say, now we have to come up with a clearly articulated vision that everybody can rally behind. Why didn't he focus on that? Well, because the church already had a mission. The church knew that the mission was the gospel. Preach this gospel to all nations. That's the mission. And the church already has a vision. The vision now is that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And so the mission was the gospel and the vision was the kingdom. And that was enough. And it's still enough for us today. We can still rally behind that today because that's at the heart of the church. But instead, Paul says to Timothy, charge the church to take care of the essential tasks. Because if they take care of the essential tasks of the church, everything else will fall into place. And I think that's still true today. Do what's set right in front of you and do it well and trust God for the rest. I think it's true in our everyday lives too, not just as a church community, but in our individual lives. Sometimes we worry about what is our future? What are we meant to do with our lives? Uh, We just came through a week of celebrating graduation for some of us in some of our households, whether it's at uh, Beaverbrook for us or other schools. And one of the questions that graduates hate to hear is what? So what are you going to do with the rest of your life? They're like, man, I've got one more exam left and then I don't know. (laughs) Sleep in? Uh, So it's really tough, isn't it? What are you going to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? What does your future look like? We were at the uh, Lord Beaverbrook graduation. It was actually at uh, uh, First Alliance Church. And there was a guest speaker there. And he said to all the graduates, your future depends entirely on you. And I felt like shouting out, no, it doesn't. (laughs) There is wisdom in the Bible for people who are graduating. There's wisdom in the Bible for all of us as we anticipate our future. And the wisdom is this. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, some of you know it, says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and what? He will direct your paths. 
So you want your paths to be directed? Do we want our paths to be directed? Then trust the Lord, acknowledge Him in all of our ways, and don't depend on our own efforts and our own energies. Right? So do those things first, and the future will be left to God. And we can trust Him with it, right? I think the same is true of the church. Sometimes in the church we get all caught up in, where are we going? What, what are we going to do? What's the future going to be like? Especially in today's society and the culture where so many people are becoming more and more secular, more and more even anti-church, perhaps we feel that. And we worry and we wonder. And God says, I've given you a job to do. I've given you some essential tasks. Do those and do them well and let me worry about the rest. And I think that's what Timothy went with back to Ephesus. Some essential tasks to do, and the church needed to do them well. Well, what are some of those tasks? We've looked at them. Of first importance is what? Prayer. That's what comes out in the pastoral epistles to Timothy. Uh, Timothy taking back to Ephesus. First of all, pray. And pray not just for yourselves, but pray for others. And don't just pray for others that you like, but pray for even those in authority over you even if you didn't vote for them. Well, they didn't vote for anybody back then, of course. But the, the principle is still the same, that if we want the church to thrive, we need to pray well, right? A second thing that he said is sound teaching. Give yourself to sound teaching. Timothy, if Ephesus is going to get back on track, they need to get back to the Bible. They need to get back to sound teaching. We need to do that well for the church to thrive. And then he says, appoint spiritual leaders. We need to constantly be identifying and cultivating and raising up and encouraging good, sound spiritual leaders in our congregations. If we're going to thrive into the future, we need to have sound spiritual leadership. Let's do that. Let's give ourselves to that and let God worry about what happens in the future. Well, we're going to add one more thing. And today we're going to look at sensitive care. So three things I just want to bring about this passage. There's so much more. Maybe we should have had a session on Wednesday just to talk about this and Paul's handling of widows. But hopefully these three points will kind of guide us through and help us out. The first thing I want us to notice is this. Care for the vulnerable is essential to the church. It's not a side ministry. Just, just as much as, as prayer and sound teaching and spiritual leadership is absolutely essential so is care. Care is essential to the life of the church. Care is not a ministry option. It's not a committee. It's not to be relegated and delegated to the pastor. Can you imagine if we're in a church where the only care that matters, the only phone call that matters, the only visit that matters is the one done by one pastor? How limiting is that for the care of the congregation? We are instead meant to be a community of care where we care for one another, and also where we care for people that are beyond our congregation. We are meant to cultivate care for the vulnerable because it's essential to the life of the church. And we see that in Acts chapter 6. We've talked about this before. The very first leadership structure was not designed as a set of bylaws. It was designed in response to a need. It was designed in response to a justice issue. There were some widows that were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so they created a whole group of people, the deacons we now call them, 
who are responsible to make sure care happens. The structures of the church were designed to make sure care happens in the church. Well, if we backed up a little bit and looked at this whole passage, one of the things we realize is that Paul is saying this, we need to honor one another in community in a whole variety of relationships, whether it's older men and younger men or older women and younger women, however it is, the overseers in the church later on in the passage, we're meant to honor one another. But most of the passage is about honoring true widows. It's focused on reminding us that there are vulnerable groups of people who are part of our congregation and we need to give special care to them. They've been forgotten before, says Paul, it seems like, so don't forget them now. So that's the first thing. Care for the vulnerable is essential to the life of the church. But here's the second thing, and this is very interesting in the whole passage. Second thing is this. Care for the vulnerable needs to be done with wisdom. Do you get that as you read through the passage? There was a great deal of instruction as to how this was to go about. There seems to be a recognition that people in need sometimes take advantage of communities who care. That's the reality. That's the reality that we're faced with. And Paul seems to know that if you're going to be generous as a congregation, there's going to be some people who are going to take advantage of it. And there's going to be even some people that use it and bring disrepute to the gospel because of it. And so there was a qualifying that had to happen for these widows. There was an actual list. Did you hear that? It wasn't just haphazard. It wasn't just somebody who walked in the door. I mean, we have that happen today, but in this situation, there was an actual list and you need to qualify. What were the qualifications? Did you pick them up? How old did you have to be? Over 60. So as I mentioned before, Doug, you qualify? Yeah. So you had to be over 60. What else did you have to, what, what other qualifications did we have? Yeah, you didn't have another relative to care for you. Paul was really heavy on that, wasn't he? Families step up, take care of your elderly. And Paul was very adamant about that. You had to have a good and godly reputation. You had to be faithful and show faithfulness. There's a lot of qualifications to get on the list. Now we have to be careful here. We're not creating a list for widows in this congregation. That's not what we're doing. We're not meant to take the exact parameters of this passage and now embed it in our governing documents. That's not what this is about. We're meant to take the principle. And the principle is really this, that in caring for others, there are certain dangers that we have to be aware of. There is a danger and even sometimes a dark side to care. We have to be aware of the dangers, like creating dependency, that sometimes happens where we don't actually help people because we create a sense of dependency that's unhealthy. Or sometimes there's another danger of just funding bad behavior. I love it when there's sometimes, occasionally we've gone to Vegas and you see people looking for money on the street. I love the honest signs. I need money for beer. Like the honesty, I'm almost willing to fund that, right? So, but sometimes we fall into the trap of funding bad behaviors and that's, that's a danger, right? I think the biggest danger though is by funding others and by helping others financially, we sometimes feed our own savior complex. We like to help because it makes us feel powerful. And when that starts to happen, we're in real danger when it comes to that. So there's a dark side 
and a danger to care, so we need wisdom. I learned this when I was 17 years old. I probably learned it before watching my mom bring in strangers from the street all the time. She'd pick up hitchhikers and bring them home. I think I've told the story. We once had five guys stay with us for almost six weeks uh, because she brought them home. They happened to be from Scotland and mom's from Scotland, so there was a connection. You know, she's still in touch with two of those people, and that was from when I was five years old till now. So there was a, a ministry there that she developed, and I learned, though, that there was sometimes danger involved in helping others out. I learned this when I was 17 because I was working at Overweighty Foods, Save-On Foods. You might be familiar with it. This was in West Bank, and I was a service clerk. And they just introduced uh, putting a quarter into the cart that you had to get back when you returned it. Remember when carts were free, right? <laughs> they still are, you just have to return them. And so it was incentive for people to return the cart, but it was also a bonus for service clerks because sometimes if you'd help someone out with their groceries, they would say, just take the cart back and you can keep the quarter. Now, when you're making four bucks an hour, a few extra quarters in your pocket at the end of the day, yeah, that's a big deal. And so I worked extra hard to, um, out of the kindness of my heart, uh, help people out with their groceries. This one particular day, there's a man showed up. I'd seen him many times before. He used to deliver newspapers to his house, actually. And he was completely drunk, completely obliterated. And he followed me around all over the parking lot because he wanted my quarters. He said he had a problem with his shoulder and he needed some rubbing alcohol. And I knew he didn't need rubbing alcohol. And um, so I put him off as long as I could. And then finally, I don't know whether it was an act of generosity or just to get him off my back, I gave him all the quarters I had in my pocket. So there, done. An act of generosity, kindness, help this man out. He goes inside to save on, and they refuse to sell him the product that he wants. He comes outside and smacks me in the face. <laughs> That's the thanks I get for helping out. I was the first guy he kind of saw that he recognized. And so I'm standing there with my nose bleeding, and he had collapsed by this time. And so then I had to call an ambulance to help this gentleman out. There is a dark side and a danger to sometimes helping, right? Sometimes it backfires. Sometimes we get smacked in the face. Sometimes we get taken advantage of. But I would say this, in all of that, it is still worth doing. But it's worth doing with wisdom. And I think that's what Paul is encouraging us to do, to be wise in how we help. So that when we actually help, we empower people. When we actually help, we get them the very best available kind of resources. And we don't uh, lead into that savior mentality that we often cultivate when we reach out to help others. So care for the vulnerable needs to be done with wisdom. But the third point is this, and I think this is the most important. Care for the vulnerable is an expression of God's character. That's what we're meant to get through all of this, I think. It's not a new thing. Uh, Paul isn't suggesting this to Timothy as if it's a revolutionary thing. This has been going throughout all of Scripture. God's heart for those who are most vulnerable is evident everywhere. I'm going to mention just a few verses. Isaiah chapter 1, listen to this. Learn to do what is right. Promote justice. Give the oppressed reason to celebrate. Take up the cause of the orphan. Defend the rights of the widow. It's right there. Or how about Psalm 68? God is a father to the fatherless 
and an advocate for widows. Or listen to Exodus 22, because this is a little bit scary. You must not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict them in any way and they cry to me, I will surely hear their cry and my anger will burn and I will kill you with a sword and your wives will be widows and your children will be fatherless and then you'll see how that feels. I added that little bit at the end. But it's kind of terrifying, isn't it? Right? This is serious to God. That's why when we come even to the New Testament in James chapter 1, we read this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is important to God. This is on God's heart. Sometimes we wring our hands wondering, what's God's will for my life? This is it. I mean, there's lots of places in the Bible where it's incredibly explicit what God wants us to do, and this is one of them, that he wants us to care for the vulnerable people who are among us and even beyond us in our community and in our world. That's what's important. So here's the question I have as we wrap this up today. Who are the vulnerable in society today? I mean, we think of orphans and widows. That was a sort of category that went together all throughout Scripture. And it was a category because these were people that lacked power in society when they were on their own. That's what we need to understand. That widows and, and especially young children, they were property. They, they didn't have their own sense of rights. They weren't able to make their own way in the world. So they were vulnerable because they lacked power. So who lacks power today? Who are the vulnerable among us? A vulnerable person can be defined as someone who belongs to a group within society that is either oppressed or more susceptible to harm than others. Think about it. Young children, as we think about the horrific uh, killing uh, this last week in Texas, young children, senior adults, I often think of one of the shames of the early stages of COVID is how many of our senior adults were abandoned or left alone. Senior adults. What about racialized minorities? Those with low income? Those experiencing homelessness? Those with developmental disabilities? Those who are sick? Those who are recent immigrants? Women facing gender-based violence? The list could go on. There's no shortage of work for us to do. As the people of God in this place, in this time, the widows and the orphans we might not see as predominant, but we are surrounded and we, we have people in our lives who are vulnerable. And that's the key. Not just who in our church is vulnerable or in our society, but who in our lives is God calling us to care for because of their vulnerability, whatever that vulnerability is. And we need to help beyond a handout. I know that in this passage, they're really talking about financial support. That when, when Paul talks about giving honor, that honor came in the sense of uh, food and practical material needs. But even beyond that, I think we help when we listen to the story of others, when we bear witness to their pain. Uh, George and Judy are here, George and, and Christine, myself, a number of years ago with a team went down to El Salvador and we were all gung-ho to help build houses. We were going to set this community back on track with our excellent skills. None of us knew how to do anything with the bricks that they gave us. It was a good thing that we were surrounded by a lot of local people who knew how to do it. 
But our ideal was to go down and for the full two weeks plus, just work, 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 and get the job done. And that first week that we're down there, they actually just took us around to different sites around San Salvador and told us their story and let us know their pain and let us be witnesses to what they suffered so that when we showed up on the site, we were incredibly humbled and we worked alongside them. That's what needs to happen as we help and we give care. So beyond a handout, listening to their story, providing dignity to people, elevating their voices if they don't have a voice, and advocating on their behalf. Who are the vulnerable among us? This is what God is calling us to do. Don't worry about the future. <laughs> Let God take care of the future. Look around and say, what is God placing right before us right now? I am so thankful for the generosity in this congregation when it comes to this. I'm so thankful for our missions team who continue to lead us to pay attention to what God is calling us to do. I think of the lunch program with Nancy and the whole team, and I've mentioned it many times. So grateful that they gather a couple of times a week and make brown bag lunches for kids who are hungry in our schools. I'm so thankful for our benevolent team who considers the needs of others and how we can financially support with incredible generosity sometimes taking the initiative, not even waiting for people to come and ask, but asking them, do you need help? I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for our community care team, this group of very dedicated people that meet on a regular basis to pray for all of you. If you're in the directory, by the way, there's a directory at the back, get your name in it, and at very least, we'll pray for you <laughs> at least once a month and pray and consider how we can help one another. I'm very thankful for the refugee support, and I could go on and on I'm very thankful that God has placed things right in front of us that we need to pay attention to when it comes to caring for others. Here's how I want to wrap up. We have to be careful in all this. We have to be careful that care for the vulnerable isn't just part of our organized religion. It's not just part of the organization of the church. It needs to be part of this. It needs to be part of our intentional organizational strategy, but it also needs to be part of our heart as followers of Jesus, as individual people, we need to put these principles into place. I want to tell you a story about John Wimber. Some of you are familiar with that name? Blast from the past, maybe for some. He started the, uh, the Vineyard Church and the Vineyard Movement, somewhat controversial at times. But John Wimber, as a pastor, uh, tells a story of a woman who called him up one time, very, very irate, finally got a hold of the pastor and said to John Wimber, I've got a bone to pick with you. I'm very upset. There was a man I came across and he was homeless and he was hungry. And so I figured I better call the church and get someone to take care of him. So I called the office, but it was 7 p.m. and no one answered. No one answered at the office of the church. So I looked up the head elder. I got his number out of the book and he was unavailable. And so then I finally tried to call you and you didn't pick up your phone. No one was there to help, so I had to feed the man myself. <laughs> and she said, the church should really do something about this. And John Wimber said, I think the church just did. Let's pray together. Father, as I read through this passage today, I was reminded that we need to pay attention to our personal responsibility and not just hand it off to others. 
that when there are needs in front of us, we need to take care of them to the best of our ability. Father, I'm also reminded that we need great wisdom in how to do this, in how to do this well, how to do this in a way that brings a good reputation to your name and brings great benefit to the person that we're attempting to help. Father, I pray that you'd help us to do this with all humility, that we wouldn't boast in our deeds, but that we'd do our good deeds before others so that they would glorify our Father which is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.